Amen. And good morning, Creekside and all my Creekside kids. Welcome to our fall family service. I know it can be a struggle to do things so differently than what we're used to. I hope you got some crayons and a packet. There's a prayer journal that we've made um, to help you kids stay engaged. It is incredibly fun to be here, but I'm equally thrilled to tell you that God has generously provided all of the kids' leaders that we need in order to open every single one of our rooms next Sunday. We're going to have an awesome fall kickoff to our kids and youth worship programs, and don't worry, we'll get back to Ecclesiastes next week. We just didn't want to depress the kids this early in life. So, um... For those of you who don't know me, my name is Lisa McDonald, and my primary role here is as the student ministries director. So you often see me up here with clipboards or props or costumes. Um, but today, I get to instead have the privilege of sharing with you one of my favorite passages of scripture. And it is one that our kinder through fifth graders have been digging into all summer long. Now, before we dig into this special prayer, it's worth noticing that there are prayers all over the Bible, and they have been written by scholars, and by kings, and by beggars, and by prophets, and there are even prayers other than this one that were written by Jesus himself, but few of them are as well known or as frequently memorized as this special prayer. It gets its own title it's called the Lord's Prayer, and you actually find it in two instances in the Bible. You can find it in Luke 2 through 4, and you can find it in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And while the two versions are just a little bit different, neither one of them is more than four sentences long. And so you might think that it's ridiculous to spend an entire summer on a four-sentence prayer, but I can guarantee you this, when Jesus teaches his people to pray, you get a prayer that is so beautifully simple and yet so profound that you could spend your life meditating on it and never exhaust the depth of its riches. But we only have 20 minutes, so let's pray and ask the Lord to use this time to fill our hearts. Lord Jesus, you know how nervous I am about this. And you know it's not because I'm afraid. It's because I love these people, my dear church family, and I love your word. And I am convinced that nothing I could say today would possibly capture the full beauty of the relationship that you are inviting us into through this prayer. So I asked that you would send the Holy Spirit to fill my words, to make up for everything I lack, and that you would work in the way that only you can. Amen. All right, let's dig in. So the first time you see this is not actually in Luke 1.1, it's in Luke 11.1. And as you can see here, the first instance that this prayer is introduced is after Jesus himself was praying. And it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John's disciples did. 
or as John taught his disciples. And while this prayer is a little bit uh, full of comparison, right? And a little bit of an expectation like, hey, Jesus, you need to do things exactly the way my famous cousin, your famous cousin, John the Baptist, did them. Because John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. All that aside, I'm just so glad they asked. I'm just so glad they were like, hey, Jesus, could you teach us to pray? Because it puts the truth right out there, which is that even people who love Jesus, know Jesus, follow Jesus, can get hung up on the idea of exactly how it is a person ought to go about talking to an infinite super being who is invisible. Right? That's actually weird and hard. And it can feel like this strange and mystical experience for me. So I'm just really glad that God put it right out there in the word that, yeah, sometimes we have some hang-ups about this. And we tell kids, I tell kids all the time, prayer is just talking to God. Right? It's no big deal. It's just talking to God. And if you read the word of God, over and over and over, he tells us that he wants us to talk to him. He loves to talk to us through prayer. In fact, if you do a quick little Google search of the word pray and Bible verses, you will get 63 Bible verses about prayer from dailyverses.net. And that includes everything from commands to pray like this one that says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, to testimonies from God's people, confessing that God indeed hears our prayers. Like this one from David that says, In my distress I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Like God is assuring us that he listens and that he cares. And yet, knowing all of this, it is still so easy to get hung up on prayer. And I believe that one reason for this is because we miss the fundamental purpose of prayer, which is to deepen and foster our relationship with God. And Jesus actually addresses this very idea in Matthew 6, which is the other instance in which we hear Jesus bring up this prayer. And he brings it up right in the middle of a really long and famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And there were just scads of people there listening to him. And he went on and on, and, and we're not going to do all of that. We're just going to kind of pretend that we're sneaking in late, as some would do, to a sermon. And we're going to pick up in Jesus' sermon right here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, where Jesus is saying, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And don't be like the Gentiles. Oh, sorry. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father. Now we're going to stop there because before Jesus goes on to teach us how to pray, he took some time to teach us how not to pray. Now, if you're an overthinker like me, you're immediately analyzing the last week of prayers and asking yourself, did I do it wrong? Is this going to be a problem? Is he going to be upset with me? And I just want to assure you, this is not Jesus's point. He is not about to give us a prayer that we will memorize to ensure that we always say all the right words to God so that he'll hear us and like us better. Instead, he is opening up a mindset for prayer. He is teaching us how to focus our prayer on our relationship with God and letting other things be set aside. And he does this by putting up two groups of people who are having some prayer hangups. One is the hypocrites. These are religious people. And they are out there getting attention. They are not seeking a relationship with God. They are worried about their relationship with other people. So their prayers aren't even to God. They're just about God. Would you agree there's a difference between talking to God and about God? Absolutely. And Jesus is like, don't do that. The other group are the Gentiles. And the Gentiles at this time were people who didn't even know God. They had no foundation for a relationship with God, and yet they were praying, hoping that they'd be heard in their lofty and lengthy prayers that were full of their own wisdom and their own philosophy. And we've already heard just how empty that can be. And Jesus is saying, don't be like them. And while I think that both groups are clearly still represented in both our churches and in our society, I think if Jesus were preaching on prayer hang-ups for American Christians, he might throw in this third group. Consumers. Right? Because in my experience, we American Christians have a tendency to treat God a little more like a vending machine than a person, right? You put the right thing in, you pick what you want, and you get the right thing out. And what happens if you don't? How do we treat a vending machine that doesn't give us the chips we selected? Are we kind to that vending machine? No, no we are not. We holler at the vending machine. We curse it in our hearts. <laughs> we might even kick the vending machine. And the worst of it all is we walk away from the vending machine going, that's broken. That just doesn't work. And I think so much of how we approach prayer is trying to get God to do what we want when we want, how we want it. And when it doesn't work, it feels like a problem. 
You know, a consumer mindset can even color the way we hear God talk to us about prayer. Like this right here says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. A person in relationship hears this as this freeing assurance that we do not have to post every prayer on social media and rally an army of other people to pray with us for God to hear and answer us. He hears you, just you, in your secret moments. But a consumer turns this into a formula. All right, got it. Go in your room, shut the door, pray, check. I'm going to get what I want this time. No more of those group prayers. No more of those public prayers dropping out of my Bible study. So I'm going to only pray behind closed doors in the secret now. And we're just like missing the whole point. But that is the temptation that wars inside of us. And we also like to proof text our right to get whatever we want from God. Right? We love verses like this one that says in John, 1 John 5.15, And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And we're going to put that on our coffee cups and stitch it on our pillows because it promises us that we get whatever we want from God when we pray. But we overlook the verse before it that says, and this, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. See, but a consumer mindset keeps us from wanting to know God's perspective. We aren't interested in what God wants and his will. We want what we want. And we're trying to convince him to get on board. Maybe I'm alone in this. But I think it's something that we struggle with. And while Jesus doesn't address this idea of consumerism directly, James has some really strong words for people who put their desires ahead of their relationship with God and with other people. Now, he's going to start out with some really extreme examples that are going to make you be like, phew, I don't have to worry about this. Um, but I really think that this war of desires is present in all of us to some degree at one time or another. He says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has placed 
made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Praise God that no matter how strong his words of conviction are with us, his words of grace are always stronger. He gives more grace than he ever gives in reproof. And he loves us. And that's why he sent us Jesus. And who better than Jesus to teach us how to enter into prayer in humility? Because it was Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And this is who is teaching us to pray today. What a good teacher. And so now, because of Jesus and his sacrifice and all that we're about to celebrate together as a family, we don't have to be ashamed of our tendency to treat God like a vending machine. We don't have to wear that shame. Jesus took it for us. And instead, we can just enter in to his forgiveness and his grace. We can just admit that, yes, this is a struggle for us. I love how our kids' Bible says this next verse from John, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. It comes from the New International Reader's Version. And it says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. That is why God corrects us. But suppose someone does sin. Then we have a friend who speaks to the Father for us. He is Jesus Christ, the blameless one. He gave his life to pay for our sins. But he not only paid for our sins, he paid for the sins of the whole world. There is no one that is excluded from this invitation to be in relationship with the Father through Jesus. But we have to understand that it is accepting this gift, this priceless gift of forgiveness that is the beginning point of our relationship with God. Only after we have accepted that are we given the privilege to pray then this way. Just let these words kind of soak in for a minute. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sin. As we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, each phrase in this incredible prayer is rich and worthy of study. And we've done that with our kids for 13 weeks. They're kind of the experts in the room at this point. Um, But the main point, the main point is not on the mechanics of this prayer. The main point is that each and every one of us has been invited into a relationship with the most high God of the universe, King of heaven and earth. That is who we're praying to. That's who we're talking to, and we're doing it because he wants to hear from us. What a privilege. What an honor. And how wise is Jesus to teach us to have that mindset before we go into our laundry list of needs. When I'm going over this with the kids, I like to show this picture. It is one of my favorites. It's a picture of JFK in the Oval Office, and his kids are just frolicking around, having a grand old time. And you can just see what a privilege it is to be the kids of the president. This is not a place where people generally frolic and clap. In fact, there's another president. His name is Theodore Roosevelt. He let his kids take a pony in the White House elevator. Real. I don't make this up. In fact, his kids got to ride their bikes and skate in the east room of the White House, which is where there are these tall windows and huge chandeliers, and they have all this wonderful receptions for heads of state, and they got to turn it into their own personal roller king. And now, if we think that there are privileges galore to being the children of the president, can we not stop and think for a moment of the incredible privilege that it is to be called a child of God? What mercy and grace has been lavished on us that we can do that? And Jesus understands what it's like to be here on planet Earth and to struggle with the things that are hard. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16 says, Since then we have a high, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. See, Jesus knows that when we start our prayers in this mindset, we are going to naturally have the humility and the awe, but also the confidence that is appropriate to the children of God. We don't have to be ashamed to come to him with our needs. But I also think it's important for us to understand that doing God's will is not easy. I had myself a really long cry preparing for this message. I really just wanted to know how long it was going to take, and the answer is a little too long. But I just wept. I didn't even make it through our Father because I remembered some of the people I have prayed over 
I'm lost. I remember times I've lifted you guys up and God didn't answer our prayers the way we wanted him to. I wept over the way that aging takes so much from us and our families and the people we love. I wept over the fact that the result of being a great mom is that you are sad when your kids finally grow up and leave you. I wept more than anything over the fact that God walked through all of that with me despite all of my unfaithfulness. Because there was a time in college where I decided that God was just a broken vending machine. I had a long list of grievances, and I was done. And one day I was sitting in the student union, and I was eating greasy pizza, and I didn't want to get it on my textbook because I had to pay that, sell that thing back for cash. And some guy walked by with one of those annoying little green Gideon Bibles that are in the King James, and you can't even understand anything it says. And I just started thumbing through it for lack of something better to do and asked myself, why? Why did I ever believe in this God who allowed all these things to happen to me? I was full of pain and anger. And in this unexpected moment of revelation, God showed me that my whole list was the result of sin. Other people's sin, my sin, the systemic sin that is all over our world. And then he showed me that in each and every instance when I was being hurt or hurting someone else, he had protected me, he had rescued me, he had comforted me, and he had not forsaken me even when I had forsaken him. You know, Jesus had his own ugly cry about doing the will of God. He was in the garden the night before he died, and it wasn't because he was sinful. It was because he was in pain. God understands our pain, and he cares about it. He doesn't make light of it. But Jesus was able through his tears to say these words, not my will, but yours be done. What a privilege that he would do that for us. I would love to tell you that I'm really good at that ever since then. It's not the case. Um, the fact is, uh, I am hard-headed and stiff-necked and relate to the people of Israel a lot. And one time when I was having a temper tantrum about something in my ministry, God gave me, sorry, I'm skipping that one. God gave me this incredible psalm. It's this long. And it says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me, O Israel, O Creekside. Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. 
Now, so those of you who are not mothers, you have to understand that newborn hungry babies are way different than weaned kids. <laughs> Newborns, when they're hungry, they are noisy, they are needy, they are demanding, and they will not let you sleep. And while, of course, every mother delights in meeting the needs of her newborn and cherishes those nursing moments, ask any mom how much she loves it when her older children return to her for the comfort of her company and her love. Not because they need something from her, but because they delight in her presence. That is the kind of tender and intimate relationship that Jesus is inviting us into through this incredible prayer. But it's important to understand that he did not stop there. He went on to say, yes, bring your needs and your sin and the ways that people have hurt you and your temptation and your fear of evil. Bring it all to me. I care. And so Mark is going to come up and help us walk through that portion of the prayer a little bit. Thank you. Wow, thank you so much, Lisa, for guiding us through that. Um, man, I, hi, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, my job now is to step into the practical uh, part of the Lord's Prayer where he's, he's been, you know, teaching us to pray like our Father who art in heaven. Let's talk to him like our Father, and, and man, what a powerful reflection on that connection to him. So my, my job is, we, as Lisa and I kind of talked about what do we want this uh, morning to look like, uh, we wanted to not just talk about prayer, but actually pray together. So that's what we're going to headed into is a time that we're going to actually pray together. So part of my job is to do the practical side of that. The other part of my job is uh, to, to take a minute to talk to the kids, okay? So I, I noticed we've got a couple of kids in here this morning. So if you're a kid in here this morning, give me like a, a whoop. That's pretty good. Some old sounding ones, I think, but uh, okay, we got we have some youth in here too. So like youth, give me like a holla or something. All right, all right. Teenagers, you guys. Um, one of the things I was thinking about. So kids, you guys have got to all summer uh, talk about the Lord's prayer, right? All summer you've been talking about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like you've been talking about these things about who God is and what it means to talk to Him. And I'm really jealous of that because that's super great that you've gotten to do that all summer. And as, as Miss Lisa was talking about this morning, we got this opportunity to, to come, and Jesus invites us, um, come be with me, come talk to me. He's our father, like he's, he's like our dad. And so think about the way, kids, that you talk to your dad or your mom. If you need something from your mom or your dad, um, how do you say their name? Like how, how would you guys say the word dad? When you're talking to your dad, what do you say? Dad, just like that. Okay, that's pretty good. That's true, that's true. But sometimes, like, you come home from school, and things have been awesome, and you're coming to your dad, and you're, like, really excited to tell him something. How would you say dad then? Yeah, dad. Yeah, you're so excited, right? Sometimes, like, some of your dads, like, not everyone's dad, but some of your dads can be really embarrassing, right? And if your dad says, like, a really embarrassing joke or something, how would you say that word then? How would you say dad? Dad. There's, like, 12 A's in there, right? Dad. Um, dads have this like superpower and you don't realize it until you become a dad, but you get this great ability to tell dad jokes and they're amazing. And so like, like it just comes to you and it's like, you're really good at it. So you can say something like, Hey kids, what do you call cheese that doesn't belong to you? Nacho cheese. Sean knew. Dads know. Dads always know. So if I said that, you'd be like, 
dad, right? My girls are over there just rolling their eyes. I told them I had an awesome dad joke, and I didn't lie, but they apparently can't recognize it, so. Okay, or, or if we're talking to uh, our dad, right, and there's something that's just wrong, you're hurting maybe, or someone's been mean to you, or you're like confused and don't know what to do, you might come to your dad and you might say it more like, dad, like you, you need help. And, you, and so the beautiful thing is that that's how we are with like our own dads, okay? And the beautiful thing is that God himself is the one that's inviting us to talk to him like that. Now, we're never embarrassed of him, so you can forget the dad joke ones. All of God's jokes are funny and amazing, and we don't uh, do the middle one. But we come to an excitement. He wants us to talk to him and come to him excited and say, God, I have this amazing thing. Father, Dad, I've had this amazing thing I want to tell you about. Thank you so much for what you're doing in my life. Or there's other times where we come to him and we just need something. And he loves to hear us come to him and just say, Dad, I need your help. God, please help me um, work with me in something that I'm wrestling with. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to take Jesus up on his offer to um, talk to him like our father. And, uh, and so this is like, now some of you are visiting with us. And so like, I'm really sorry you chose an interactive week to come, but um, it's a great way to get to know this church family. What we're going to do is we're actually going to actually pray together. Okay. And so it's not going to be me praying into a microphone so much. It's going to be you guys kind of where you're at. And so there's a whole bunch of kids. There's a bunch of youth in here. And what I want to encourage you to do is kind of, um, I want the kids, kids, I want you guys to be really brave and to, to be like uh, leaders in praying. Okay. So if you have like your own, like actual family there with you, um, like in a second, just turn to each other and, and we're going to pray together. Okay. If you're, um, if you're adults and you don't have your kids with you, or if your kids are not so small anymore, um, feel free to gather up with other people around you. If there's kids in that crew, that's great. If there's not kids in that crew, that's fine. But just, we're going to take a minute. And, and, um, also if you're like, if this is literally your worst nightmare and I'm like making it real right now, um, just close your eyes and just kind of duck in and nobody will say anything. You can just pray your way through this. It's going to be fine. Okay. Um, but what we're going to do is just take a minute. So Jesus, as he's, um, as he's getting into this uh, Lord's Prayer, he's teaching us about, man, God is our Father, and he is in heaven, and, um, and, and we're praying for, like, his will to be done on earth as in heaven. And he teaches us to come and say, um, give us this day our daily bread, right? He asks us to, to forgive us our sins as we forgive the people that sin against us. He asks us to, to come to him and, and ask him uh, not to lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. All, in all these things, he's teaching us when you have a need, when you have something that's hard, when something's pressing on you and making life difficult, he's teaching us, come and ask for what you need, okay? So what we're gonna do, we're gonna take maybe maybe like three, four, five minutes, and we're just gonna kind of pray where you're at. So what, what I'm gonna ask you to do is, is to be brave, okay? And you kids, I want you to lead, okay? We're just gonna kind of turn in little, little clusters and, and just maybe share something real quick of, of like a need that you have, something that's hard for you right now that you want to pray together for, okay? So now, there's not enough time to share your life story, okay? So some of you need to be told that. You really can't share your life story right now. Um, some of you have big, heavy things and you can't get into all of it, but just, just a word, a phrase, an area. And let's just take a couple minutes to just pray for each other. Um, kids, if, if adults share something, pray for the adults. It's a beautiful thing to, um, to pray for the adults around you. We're just going to do that for a minute. I'm going to close this up um, in that time in a minute, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. together. But um, turn your little clusters there, and let's pray for each other. <laughs> 